0: You are listening to audio from Emanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning, church. I morning. haven't morning. had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name is Eric. I serve as our Director of Theological Formation, I think is what it is. That's right. Okay, <laughs> so thank you, thank you, name. Um name. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm so thankful for a church that allows their pastors time to rest and renew and be normal, you know, dads and husbands. And so this week, Austin, I think <laughs> I have to, you know, do that, and we allow that. You know, some churches actually don't do that. I don't know if you know that seems harsh and inhumane, but they don't, um, and so I hope that it was everything you needed it to be, and that your kids value the time that they got with you, that maybe they don't always get with you, um, and uh, and yeah, and so uh, that means that I got the privilege to prepare this week and spend time in God's Word over and above what I would normally do um, to be able to bring a word this morning. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to 2 Samuel <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 9 That's where we're going to be this morning And today I want to share out of the overflow Of what the Lord did for me this week As I studied this text um, Yeah, you know, not every time I prepare Do I feel a, a I, know that, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this But like a, a real nearness of God Um and this week was one of those times that I'm really grateful. And and so when I felt his nearness and heard his voice through this text, I just wanted to give you that today. So my goal is not for you to like learn more things. So this is not primarily a teaching. Um, it's not to like wow you with some sort of doctrinal, theological, you know, mastery or something like that, despite my job title. Um, it, it really is just for um, it's for you to encounter God In a fresh way this morning So that's my prayer um, I've titled this sermon The Spirit of Uh I'll try not to cuss when I say his name But just, it might be bound to happen That's a hard name to say repeatedly Which I will be doing um, I joked around, I thought maybe I would call him Bo um, I thought maybe uh, Meth But then that gets a little crazy You know, if you say it too much um, So Uh, The spirit of Mephibosheth Because I think if we can just catch for a moment The orientation toward God that he had toward David in this text I believe some of you, some of us Would experience a spiritual breakthrough today This week Some of us, I think, are in a spiritual rut We're complacent We are bored. We are more susceptible to sin than maybe we have been in a long time. We are irritable. We're depressed. We are anxious. And I think the Lord told me as I was preparing for today that today is somebody's time to break, that today is someone's time for a breakthrough. So let's now turn to this text and to the Lord for his help As we look at this little known character in the Bible called Mephibosheth So 2 Samuel, we're actually going to begin in verse 3 About midway through verse 3 Ziba Ziba said to the king, because the king, King David Called Ziba uh, into his house because he had a question for him Which we're about to see But this scene takes place after David had finally um, gotten to a place in his kingship where he's put down the Philistines and some of the surrounding enemies, and uh, that's kind of like priority number one for a new king. Well, he's done this, and priority number two is uh, honor promises that have been made to dear friends. That was on his list. So we talked last time I preached about the friendship between David and Jonathan— And it even extends after death So let this be another lesson in friendship friends You you care for people even when they're not around You care for what they care for even when they're not able to see it Um, That wasn't planned, that was just uh, So Ziba said to the king There is still a son of Jonathan He is crippled in his feet The king said to him Where is he? And Ziba said to the king he is in the house of Machir the son of Amiel, at Debar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Debar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, so remember that, Jonathan was the son of Saul, King Saul, the last one who left in disgrace and died at the end of 1 Samuel. Well, Jonathan is that guy's son, and Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. So his grandfather was the last king. Of Israel, and uh, and Mephibosheth came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, "Mephibosheth," and he answered, "Behold, I am your servant." So your first question. As you begin reading this text, it might honestly just be, who is Mephibosheth? And I've already told you a little bit about who he is, but he's not like a major character in the Bible. And yet I think God is divinely, I think, I know, I know that God has divinely, sovereignly placed him in this text for us today. And so I want us to look and kind of focus on this person and sort of ask, like, well, what's he here for? What does he teach us? So who is he? First, Mephibosheth was orphaned by tragedy. So verse 3, Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, okay? Jonathan, his father, who by all accounts was a good man who loved God, tragically died in battle against the Philistines in 1 Samuel 31. And as a matter of fact, you know, not only did he die, but we don't hear, And maybe Austin can correct me as he's been studying through this, but... I could not find a mention of Mephibosheth's mother. Have you seen anything? Okay, i just making sure. I So she's nowhere in the picture at all. So Jonathan dies in battle right around the same time that Saul does, and the mother's nowhere to be found. And so what that means is that Mephibosheth is alone. The only person that he has in the text is his nurse, like kind of like a name, so he has a nurse, and that's all that he has to look after, and I don't know, um, I don't know what your home life or growing up was like, um, so this might just be me in the room, but I can speak for the fatherless because I am one, um, that the technical definition of being uh, orphaned is losing or not having one or both parents in your life. and um, My father has never been in my life. Ever. I saw him like once a year for a few years. That was like a streak. Um, but I don't know that you can call that like being in your life. I didn't talk to him on the phone. I, um, I literally never received a birthday card from him. I never received a gift from him. All that I've received from him were empty platitudes, assuring me that things would be different after that one time of year that I would see him. And there's something that that does to a person. When you grow up without a parent, father, mother, some of you know this. Like there's a brokenness that you carry with you always. It's always lurking just behind the curtain of every action that you perform, every relationship that you're in. It can have positive effects, like me as a father now, like, I was just telling someone today, like, they told me, you know, hey, we got some good news, like, we're, we're going to have a baby, like, we're 10 weeks into this thing, and we didn't plan it, but, you know, it's happening, so we're excited, and and I just told them, like, you have no idea what you like, you don't know what you don't know. Like, you don't know that your heart can get bigger and that there's more love that can go in. And sometimes it's so much that it feels like it's going to explode and it's actually kind of painful. You know? Like, you parents, you know this. Like, and that for me, being fatherless growing up, is even, like, deeper than, than what it might have been had I had a dad who was involved. Because now I'm like channeling all the things that I wanted so deeply and desperately that I never had. I'm getting to positively give to my children. It's wonderful. And it's simultaneously awful. But then you lose like both parents, And like what does that do to your soul? Like what does it do to your identity? So Mephibosheth was... Orphaned by tragedy Second He was crippled in body So verse 3 Ziba said to the king There is still a son of Jonathan He is crippled in his feet So You know that detail is important It's not only mentioned here Verse 3 but it's mentioned in the very last Verse of the chapter So it bookends what happens In the middle so that detail about Mephibosheth is supposed to make everything that happens Between what it said in the beginning and what it's said at the end Even that more significant The, the author is trying to convey to you That what's about to happen is not normal Given this condition, in this time, and in this place This is not normal As a small boy, Mephibosheth threw no fault of his own his life was radically like radically changed for the worse. So 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan verse 4, the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. Well, here's the backstory. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The news that they had died. So the former king of Israel died, and so did his son, who was the heir of parent to most people died. And so that leaves, well, anybody in his family in kind of a difficult situation. Well, his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, the text says. And his name was Mephibosheth. So Saul and Jonathan had just died, and everyone in the house of Saul knew what that meant. That they were going to be next. Because there was a challenger to the throne. The rightful challenger, mind you, in God's economy, in God's plan, David. But now you have everybody left in Saul's family who is is vulnerable. And actually in the passage right after these verses, like starting in verse 6 and going forward... You actually have a story of that very thing happening. Some of Saul's family being slaughtered and then taken to David against David's will. He didn't get permission for that, but that was just the expected thing to do. If you want to get in the new king's good graces, go kill his enemies. And there are no worse enemies than those who have a claim upon the throne. And in that haste, the five-year-old Mephibosheth... Is being carried, presumably, and because, you know, five-year-olds, they often want to be carried. Austin was just at Disney World, and I can't imagine how many times you had to carry one or multiple of your kids, you know? And, like, for it's hot, and and so they're running, and and so this happens, right? Um, But maybe just think about just, like, so much of the Bible is foreign to us, and we just have to, for a moment, just get in it. Just try to put our feet... In the place of those who were there, because what that would have meant for Mephibosheth, as a five years old, like my kids come to me complaining when someone looks at them the wrong way, like oh, like I'm hurting, Dad, my, you know, like all oh, Hudson did was look at you, all oh, Elizabeth did was look at you, Look, like, you're fine, right? I mean, I mean, I know this is like parents that we're having this moment together, future parents, just listen in. Um, but, I mean, like, or if I even think that they might keep me up at night with growing pains, I'm like, you probably need some ibuprofen, don't you? Like, let's just go get some, you know? <laughs> like, that's the reality, and, and yet, at five years old, in ancient times, the recovery would have been excruciating in a time before modern medicine, before ibuprofen, before the hard stuff, like the oxies of the world, you know what I mean, which is not great, but, you know, like... <laughs> It would have been bad, like it would have been really, really bad. Like imagine looking after him and hearing him calling out throughout the night, weeping in pain as he slowly heals and knowing that he probably will never be the same. This little boy that as his caretaker you have now adopted— And made your own and you feel for him and you want him to be okay and yet he's not okay and this is night after night after night for weeks probably. To be honest, he probably had um, memory pain for the rest of his life from what happened. The ostracism that would have come from that? As being a crippled person, a person who was not able-bodied. I don't want to be accused of like ableism or whatever the newest like thing is, you know, but I'm just saying what it is. Like he he couldn't use his legs. And in that time, like that was humiliating. Like you were an outcast. So he went from being a potential future king to now like the lowest in society. In fact, Mephibosheth's name means from the mouth of shame or one who scatters shame. So, you know, which is interesting, not just because it fits his situation because of who he is now, but actually in Second Chronicles, there's a discrepancy with his name. He actually has a different name. That means a completely, maybe in some ways the opposite thing, and so it might be that Mephibosheth, in light of his tragic circumstances, was like Naomi in the book of Ruth, who, in the face of tragedy and despair, renamed himself to match his circumstances. So Mephibosheth was orphaned by tragedy, he was crippled in body. And he was humbled in spirit Number three, he was humbled in spirit Verse six Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul Came to David and fell on his face and paid homage And David said Mephibosheth Orphaned and crippled probably left him humbled in spirit The once future king now comes before the now reigning king And how does he approach? That's important. Like, how does he approach? How would you approach? One option would have been to do so from a spirit of grievance. Grievance and blame for robbing him of the life that was owed him by birth. Grievance and blame for setting off a chain of events that led to his being crippled and poor for the rest of his life. He could have viewed David as the object of his pain And the object of the injustice against Him And so many of us Respond to God in this way, I think At the smallest slice in perspective Like our approach to Him and even others Whether openly or secretly Can be a focus on what we didn't get Or what we uh, are owed Or what someone did or didn't do That they should have done And what we do is we, we begin to ruminate on these slights and these wrongs, it may, you know, if Christine's here, she could help me, being a therapist, maybe someone else is a therapist, but that's actually like a, um, a term, rumination. And the idea of rumination actually comes, as I understand it, from, um, okay, so we all know cows, right? And what cows do, because they have like 20 stomachs or something, and I think they have like six or something crazy, um, is, and they're huge, you know, they eat like all day long. And they just sit and actually stand and eat and eat and eat. And then they'll kind of be standing there for a bit, and they'll just be chewing. And it'd be easy to think that, like, they're chewing the grass that they had just gotten from the ground. But what actually has happened, and, you know, this is a little gross, so forgive me, but we're not eating. And so they would swallow that grass, and then they would regurgitate it back into their mouths and chew on it a little bit more, like... The ultimate flavor saver I guess you know like they will just chew and swallow and then throw it back up and chew some more and that is called ruminating as they're chewing on the cup like it's rumination and so in therapy terms what we do is we take all the things that have um, we've perceived as being slights against us Or injustices against us Or, or you know, little knocks against us or, or whatever it might be Maybe that's in our marriage Maybe it's between our parents and us Just God knows that, you know, not everybody has perfect families, right? Or maybe it's relationships, friendships That we're having some trouble with And what we do is we go We go, maybe even in the moment But we go and we replay That conversation over and over again What we're doing is We're taking it in And instead of letting it go We're throwing it back up And chewing on the same stuff But you know what I bet I bet that that grass Doesn't quite taste as good As it did the first time When it comes up the second time Or the third time Or the fourth time And so when you replay that conversation over and over and over and over again, it gets worse every time. It becomes more bitter and sour in your mind and in your mouth. And so one option for for this person, because we actually don't know much about what he was like, you know, is that his whole life he's been stewing on the missed opportunity, on what was owed to him for his life, both in the tragic accident that he Endured, but also the throne being ripped away in some sense. And what kind of poison to the soul might that have, you know, done and been for him? So the option here is to look upon him with grievance. The other option was to view him not from a spirit of grievance, but humility. Humility shuns entitlement for honor. He fell, the text says, on his face. Now, he was already low because the guy, he can't walk. So there's already humility walking in because he has no choice but to be that in some sense. But he goes further. He bows further on his face, and he pays homage to this king. And then when David said his name, he says, I am your servant. Mephibosheth's humility is not unlike a certain woman of the city in Luke chapter 7, where the woman in verse 37, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, so he was having dinner, well, this woman of the city, which is kind of like a little like, you know, head knocks, is like she's doing some stuff that we can't talk about in public, so this is a short way to say that. Well, when she learns that Jesus is at the Pharisee's house, Well, she comes to the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, a really, really expensive ointment that she probably either was handed down to her or that she purchased with ill-gotten gain. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them. With the ointment Now this happened at a dinner party At the Pharisee's house And Jesus observes that in verse 44 I entered your house Talking to the Pharisees You gave me no water for my feet Which was customary for the day We have dirty feet You're going to step in someone's house It's like you take your shoes off right Well the idea was you wash your feet So you had a servant come out and do that Well they didn't do that You offered me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, like we're not glossing over this. Are forgiven Why Jesus Because she loved much And this is where I'm trying to bring us into the, the moment Like if I, if we could just today Like the thing that I want you to get is I want you to, to Like we're not learning stuff Like we need to experience God We need to see God And we need to love him Notice that two men Were called to the king in our text and yet only one of them fell on his face and paid homage. Ziba, the actual servant, seemingly stood before the king. And my question for you is, which of these figures does your experience of God most resemble today? Are you like Ziba and the Pharisees, who have, all, who have the honored guest of King Jesus, not just in your home, but in your hearts? Yet love and respect him so little that you do not metaphorically kneel, nor wet his feet with your tears, nor wipe them with your hair. These base things, nor continuously kiss his feet because that is the closest part of him from a position of prostration. This kind of humility was not simply a political move on the part of Mephibosheth. Because of the pain that he had experienced, he was positioned for this moment. He was postured for an appointment that God had for him. And it is here that we see that Mephibosheth's response to the king comes before the king ever did a single thing for him. He actually probably was terrified that he was there for, well, to be killed. What Mephibosheth did for the king, the honor that he showed to him, the humility that he came into his presence with, was based solely on who he was as the king. Mephibosheth was orphaned by tragedy. He was crippled in body. He was humbled in spirit. Finally, Mephibosheth was loved by the king. Verse 7, 2 Samuel 9 and David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. I will show you the word is chesed, love. You got to put little ch into it. Chesed, love, covenant love. Austin has talked to us about this before. This is the special covenant, unbreaking, unfailing, never-ending, always and forever love, if you read the Jesus' Lord book of God That he has for his people And now it is being given and channeled through the king His emissary, his representative To the lowliest of the low Mephibosheth I'm going to show you this kind of love For the sake of your father Jonathan And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father And you shall eat at my table always Then the king called Zibia verse 9 he called, sorry not Zibia Ziba I always want to add eye in there Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant And said to him All that belong to Saul And to all his house Shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson May have bread to eat But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson Shall always eat at my table So Mephibosheth ate At David's table Like one of the king's sons Verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. This is a picture of extraordinary, extravagant, excessive. If I had some more ease that meant a lot, I would give them to you. Grace. David takes the one who was his enemy, who was abandoned by culture and orphaned by his father, and he makes him as one of his own sons. He adopts him into his family and gives him wealth and status. I think it's obvious, but this is a picture of the gospel, of the good news, of what Jesus has done, what God has done in Jesus for us. Galatians 4, 4-7 that Cody providentially read today, for you, God is calling to you in bringing together different people right now who are thinking about the same text so that you can hear it and receive it and feel it and experience God. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to be like you, basically. To redeem those who were under the law, all of us, so that we might receive adoption. Like to be made family, as sons, and read in parentheses, daughters and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father you so you are no longer a slave but you are you are a son and if a son then an heir like you have it all all the status all the wealth it is yours you may have to wait in this age for a time but one day, the entire earth will be given to you like you will have it all. There is no good thing that your Father in heaven will withhold from you. Like a bucket list, who needs one? Like you live forever, and it gets better than it will ever get here in this earth. Romans eight fifteen and 17, for you to not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are sons, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is a picture of extraordinary, extravagant and excessive grace. But don't miss it. The breakthrough only comes for the broken. The breakthrough only comes for the broken. The spirit and attitude of entitlement or even grievance will lead to the stagnation that you feel. To the anxiety you fight. To the sin that you coddle the spirit of Mephibosheth, the poor in spirit that would inherit the kingdom one day, will not only experience God more, but they will be satisfied by the king, King Jesus, at his table. His own table when he returns. So I ask you, what kind of relationship do you want with your king? Do you approach him like Mephibosheth approached David? Do you see yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes? Do you have that kind of brokenness in your spirit? Maybe when you came to the Lord, it was in a moment like that. But that is meant to be the steady state of the Christian life. Like this deep sense that I am nothing. And that God is everything. Everything. What will it take? Like I'm just trying to, I just don't know how to give you like what's in what's been given to me in this moment, even now by God's grace that I feel his presence and I'm trying to just convey. like I'm trying to make it happen and I can't. What will it take? For you to experience and think of God in this way. If he never did another good thing for you. Would you still honor him? Would you still love him? For who he is. That our God is worthy. And he is good. And miraculously he is merciful. And he leaves us not in an orphan. Not in a crippled. Not in a whatever state, but he restores and makes us whole and allows us to stand before him and sit at his table and eat his food and enjoy his fellowship and be with him always. And it can start even today for some of you. This morning, we come to the table, a picture, a reminder that the true and better king, he looked upon our crippled spirits Our acceptance and embrace of his son, the redemption price paid on the cross and said, come and eat, come and drink, come now, not as a servant nor as a slave, but as a son or a daughter. So I do, I invite you to come and reenact what is going to happen at the end of all days. All right. So if man can come up. We will come to the table if you're serving communion, go ahead and make your way and just know um, maybe you're not a Christian here today. And so first I would just say like, let's do that change. Let that change now in this moment, as you've heard this illustration of the goodness of God, as you've seen this picture of God's grace, as it ultimately plays out on the cross through his son, Jesus. That is for you. And I would invite you to the table to experience that grace for the first time. But if you're not quite ready to make that moment, that step, to surrender to God and be made whole, that's okay. You can think about it more, but maybe don't come and take part in the table today. Because that's what it's for. And so if you come, you're kind of saying that that's what you're ready to do. The rest of us, let's come to the table and let's experience a fresh and a new. I know we do it every week, but let's come. Let's come both in the spirit of Mephibosheth, but but also in the spirit of a son. And let's take the bread that was broken for us. Let's remember our sins and know that he paid the price. Let's take the cup, and I love this part. Let's take the cup, and let's drink, and let's know that our sins were wiped away, and we were made clean. And that's not even the best part. You know that's like a means to an end. It is the means to the end of being with God. Like, one day, we're going to drink the cup of blessing with him at his table. And I like good drink. Maybe you like good drink. And you're like, oh, that that, is really good, you know? Read between lines. And this is going to be better drink, everybody. So as you take it today, remember not only are your sins wiped away, but there's something better coming. And long for it. And pray for it. And reach for it. And live for it. So let me pray. And then I invite you to come and experience God's grace. Thank you, God. I am speechless. I am. And so, thankful for what you've done for us, for me this morning, and for no one else. Maybe the word. And we invite you to inhabit this meal with us and nourish our souls.